My global IQ is 109. 100. 145. 122. 108. 137. 103. 139. 147. 103. 126. This is Global IQ. I'm your host, Jim Falk. And today I'm joined by Susan Page. She's the author of The Matriarch, Barbara Bush and the Making of an American Dynasty. And what often happens in the Falk household that my wife, Terrell, is way ahead of me in reading about presidential history, and for several days she couldn't stop talking about this book. Susan worked in the press corps at the White House for the last six administrations and is now Washington Bureau Chief for USA Today. Welcome. It's great to have you with us. Hey, it's good great to have to you in Dallas. Thanks very much. So you wrote, Barbara Bush stands as the most underestimated first lady of modern times. Why did you say that? I covered all these presidential elections. If you look at the last 10 presidential elections, Barbara Bush played a personal role in seven of them, which is remarkable. And when you talk to voters, when I would talk to voters about Barbara Bush, they would say, oh, she's such a great grandmother. She's got that white hair and she wears those pearls and she's so down to earth. And voters, I think, of both parties felt affectionately toward her. But I think they saw her only in one dimension. And she is definitely a woman of three dimensions. She is not only warm, but also caustic and funny and blunt and sarcastic, and she could be a little mean. And one of the things that I thought was most underestimated about her was that she was influential and consequential, especially in the administration of her husband. And it was very clear from reading your book that you established a relationship with her that you probably didn't even expect that you're going to have. I want to ask you, when you first started to write the book, had she already committed to grant you that one interview? So when I signed the contract to write the book, I had not yet contacted any of the Bushes to tell them I was doing this book. And she had not, of course, committed to anything. And I, I did that for a reason, you know, possibly brilliant, possibly stupid, that if I asked if she would cooperate, she would give me at least one interview. And she said, no, I might back out. I might chicken out because it would sound very difficult. But I also worried that if she said yes before I was committed to doing it, that she would think she'd have some sway over what I was going to write. And I didn't want to do an authorized biography. I wanted to do a work of journalism. So signed a contract, sent her a letter, said, could I have an interview? After about a week, she said, yes. I had the first interview. At the end of the first interview, I said, can I have a second interview? At the end of the second interview, I said, can I have a you can see where this is going? So I ended up having five extended interviews with her during the final six months of her life. You were scheduled to meet with her shortly before she passed away, weren't you? I was. I had come to Texas for the sixth interview. And the night before we were supposed to get together, she fell. She broke her back. She went to the hospital, and she never recovered. You know, I think what makes your book so remarkable and different from all the other articles and so forth that we have read about Barbara Bush is you got access to her personal diaries. How did that happen? So in the first interview, she said, don't even ask me about my diaries, you can't see them. Which I understood. I mean, if I had diaries, which I don't, I would definitely not let everybody They would have been released at some point, or they will be, become public. 35 years after her death. So you have 34 years to wait until people will be able to see her diaries. But in the third interview, I said, could I see diary entries that relate to Reza Gorbachev? So I was very interested in her relationship with Reza Gorbachev, which I think was in a secondary but important factor in the negotiations to end the Cold War in a peaceful way. And she said she would think about it, which I assume meant no. 
And in the fifth interview, at the end of the fifth interview, so this is basically the final conversation we had. First I said, can I have a sixth interview? And she said, yes. And then I said, you know, I asked you about seeing your diary entries that relate to grades of Gorbachev. Have you thought about that? And she said, yes, I've thought about it. I've decided you can see them. You can see them all. You can see all of my diaries. What I said was the worst possible response. I said, I was so shocked. I said, are you sure? <laughs> now, if somebody gives you this enormous gift, do not say, hey, are you sure you don't want to take this back? And she said, yes, I'm sure, because, of course, she was always pretty sure about things. Uh, that was just an extraordinary gift. So where were they? What did they look like? They're at the George H.W. Bush Library in College Station. They're kept in archival boxes that are kept in a cage. Not even the archivists have been allowed to look at them because it's you know another 34 years before anyone will be able to see them. So I would go in, I'd have to sit in a room, I could not bring anything into the room, I had to use their paper and their pencils, and there would be a staff member sitting there watching me because they're trying to protect the, the documents. They would bring out these boxes, and they're in all different forms. There are some that are um, kind of like the traditional diary. There are some that are just folders of old letters, and that was how, during some points of her life, she would keep what amounted to a diary by writing a series of long letters to friends and relatives. In the last couple decades, she was keeping it on her laptop, so it would be pronounced. But these are diaries that haven't been processed by anyone. They were out of order. There were things stuck in them. Some of the pages were stuck together, like if she'd had jelly that morning on her toast, you know, the two pages would be stuck together, and I'd peel them apart. It was really, uh, it was just really remarkable. You've known the Bush family for a long time, and they are notorious for not wanting to be psychoanalyzed. And yet, in your book, you sort of get close to that and talking about the relationship that Barbara Bush had with her mother and also her sister, Martha. How did that affect her life, do you think? It's interesting. She had a tough relationship with her mother. Her mother gave her a hard time about her weight. She left uh, scars on her daughter about insecurity, about how she looked. Uh, that was something she, I think she carried with her her whole life. I asked her in one interview, so tell me what the nicknames for you and your siblings would be. And she said, well, Martha was the pretty one. That's her older sister, Martha, uh, who was, in fact, very pretty. And so pretty, she was on the cover of Vogue's college issue when she was in college. She said, Martha was the pretty one. And Jimmy, who was her older brother, Jimmy was the pex bad boy because Jimmy was always in trouble, but in a way that didn't ever seem to make people mad, including her parents, because it was, he was just kind of a mischievous guy who was constantly getting into scrapes. And Scott, her younger brother, Scott was the perfect one uh, because Scott was a really endearing child. And in fact, he's the only one of her siblings still alive, and he's a really endearing adult, so I could understand why people called him the perfect one. And I said, okay, well, what were you? And she said, I was the little fat one. And I think that in some ways that's how she saw herself. And the nickname Bar is not short, <laughs> not short for Barbara, is it? So it's very Bush-like here. So to, number one, to have a nickname, and number two, to have it not be the obvious reason for the nickname, which is her name was Barbara. Barbara was the name of a horse at Kenny Bunkport that pulled carts back and forth. This is during, during World War II when there was gasoline rationing. Uh, and one of uh, George H.W. Bush's brother gave Barbara Bush that nickname. Is it fair to say that while President George H.W. Bush, 41, 
was often perhaps too trusting of those around him, that Mrs. Bush was a better judge of staff and friends and really worked to protect him and at times orchestrated some staff changes. They were partners on that in a helpful way. I wouldn't say better, I would say they had slightly different worldviews. So George H.W. Bush was pretty trusting, was pretty forgiving, didn't keep a grudge against hardly anyone except maybe Ross Perot. Barbara Bush was much more suspicious of people's potential motives. And she would apprise her husband when she thought somebody had other than motives that were to his benefit at heart. And she was more likely to remember slights or times people had crossed them. And she would remind, I think, her husband sometimes, remember that he did not vote for you. He did not support you on that. When Bush, uh, the President Bush might be inclined to just think all is forgiven. So in that way, they were a very, that, I think that was a very helpful partnership for both of them. I didn't know that Ross Perot had offered George Bush a job. Offered George Bush a job, George Bush turned it down, uh, and I think the Bushes thought that might be one reason for the enmity between Ross Perot toward the Bushes that may have contributed to his decision to launch that independent bid that was, in fact, I think, damaging to George Bush's re-election prospects. Now, I want our listeners to be sure to read your book, so I'm not going to go into too many of these stories, but one relationship let's talk about. One would hope that the spouses, so far women, of the vice president and the president would get along. But my goodness, the animosity between Nancy Reagan and Barbara Bush, whoo, that was frosty. You know, I covered that time. I covered the Reagan White House. I was working for Newsday then. And we knew that Nancy Reagan and Barbara Bush were not best friends. But we did not know that they were mortal enemies. And this dislike, particularly that Nancy Reagan took toward Barbara Bush, started really at the beginning, started in 1980. And it really came from her towards Barbara. Now, that's Barbara's version of it. Now, Nancy Reagan may have her own side of things. Often there are two sides to a story. Always there are two sides to a story. But I didn't talk to Nancy Reagan. So this is Barbara Bush's view was that this was a difficult relationship that began because Nancy Reagan made it difficult. And Nancy Reagan was, in fact, um, dismissive of the Bushes. Uh, in private, she would refer to them as the shrubs. Uh, that was not meant as a compliment. Uh, and she did this extraordinary thing during the administration when the hottest ticket, social ticket, in the eight years of the Reagan administration was the White House dinner for Prince Charles and Princess Di. And Nancy Reagan cut the Bushes off the guest list. Michael Beaver, who was the deputy chief of staff for the president, called her and said, Nancy, you can't cut the vice president off the guest list. And she said, just watch me. And the Bushes were not invited that night. Was she jealous of the Bush family? I think that uh, I think that she thought that Barbara Bush looked down on her. You know, she came from California. Barbara Bush had all this great lineage uh, in New England. Um, I think another point of contention from Nancy Reagan's point of view is Barbara Bush was the matriarch of this very close and extended family. Nancy Reagan didn't get along with her own children. Uh, I think there are probably a complicated set of reasons why. You know, I think there was some, also I think Barbara Bush would look at Nancy Reagan and see a woman who was uh, very slender, always beautifully dressed. Maybe she thought, that's the daughter my mother wished she'd had. Tell us about that last phone call they had. It's right after the Bushes have moved back to 
Houston after moving out of the White House, having lost his bid for re-election in 1992. Nancy Reagan gave an interview on Inauguration Day on ABC that criticized the Bushes. And so the next day, Nancy Reagan called Barbara Bush in Houston to try to explain away this interview, which is a conversation that the two women had, had repeated times in the previous eight years, or the previous 12 years. And Barbara Bush had finally just had enough. She finally said, I don't want to hear your explanations anymore. Don't ever call me again. And then she said, and how many of us have done this? Oh, my other line is ringing. And she hung up. Now, in fact, there was no other line ringing. In fact, they never had another extended conversation. We know that she was a tough lady. And one of the things that we often hear about the relationship between 41 and 43 is that they didn't really talk that much about policy. Barbara Bush, on the other hand, sometimes called her son and gave him a little bit of advice. You remember when George W. Bush was elected president, George H.W. Bush made a point of saying in public, I'm not going to give him advice unless he asks for it. He's the president, I'm not. And George W. Bush, I think, rarely asked his father for advice. Barbara Bush did not make that promise. And she felt free to weigh in when she thought he was doing a good job, which she often did, but also when she thought he had gone astray. And I think the most contentious issue between them was over the Iraq war, where she felt he was listening to the wrong voices, that he should be listening to some of the advisors who had been important in her husband's administration in dealing with that region of the world. Uh, and it became an, enough of a point of contention that one White House uh, staffer told me you could hear them arguing in the Oval Office when you were in the hallway outside it. That's, it's a pretty soundproof place, so you have to be talking pretty loud for that to happen. And George W. Bush, in an interview he gave me for the book, said that he finally told his mother that he was the president and that she had to trust him. And these were his decisions, not the decisions of the forces he was listening to. Uh, and I think then she tried to step back a bit. We have just another minute or so, and I do want to ask you about PEPFAR. President W. Bush did such a wonderful job at PEPFAR, the president's emergency plan for AIDS relief, which continues to provide vital medical assistance throughout Africa. You can really trace, perhaps, this interest that he had to his mother. It's so interesting. And you can trace, I think, her interest in the issue of AIDS to the death of her daughter, Robin, of leukemia, when Robin was just three years old. Uh, it was a, a disease then that wasn't understood. People, some, she said some of her best friends wouldn't come over and see Robin because they were afraid of catching leukemia. So decades later, she sees the same thing happening for people with HIV AIDS. And she made that a quiet cause on her part. And George W. Bush told me that that, and she thinks that that interest of his mother's was one factor in his own interest in PEPFAR. And in fact, in the interest that his daughter, Barbara Pierce Bush, the granddaughter, has said, and she's a co-founder of the Global Health Corps, and when I interviewed her, she said also, this reflects her mother's interest. So you think Robin died in 1953. And as a result of her death and the impact it had on her mother, millions of people were saved. Well, we've barely scratched the surface of your book and we've run out of time. You're going to have to buy and read the book to hear what Barbara Bush thought of President Trump, what she thinks about legacy, dynasty, and also the important role she played in international relations, especially with the taunt and the relationship with uh, President Gorbachev's wife, Risa. Thank you so much, Susan, for being our guest. And thank you for listening to Global IQ with Jim Falk, a production of the World Affairs Council of Dallas-Fort Worth. 
Subscribe and rate Global IQ Minute on iTunes, Stitcher, or your favorite app. And special thanks to my producers and council staff members, Kara Sheckman and Kayla Smith. And with that, I ask, what's your Global IQ?